Hi, I'm Lawrence Carroll, and welcome to Two Question Tuesday. I'm the author of ETFs for the Long Run, Dividend Stocks for Dummies, and a contributor to Forbes.com and Barron's. Each week on Two Question Tuesday, we randomly pick and answer two questions from clients of Focused Wealth Management. This week's questions will be answered by Phil D'Angelo, Managing Director of Focused Wealth, and Michael Passante, the firm's Director of Financial Planning. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning, guys. Morning, guys. So on Sunday, UBS agreed to buy its troubled rival, 166-year-old Credit Suisse, in a quickly arranged deal. Currently valued at $3.3 billion, the terms are now being negotiated and can still fall apart. The Credit Suisse takeover is the most consequential fallout from the implosions a week ago of both Silicon Valley and Signature Bank. The Swiss National Bank gave UBS $108 billion to support the deal as a way to reassure investors. So the first question is, will this shore up the global financial system? I don't believe that this is quite enough to shoring up the global financial system as of right now. It really feels like a forced merger and or sort of a bailout because if you look at Credit Suisse's market cap, this is obviously a pretty significant take under relative to the stock price. And as of last week, Credit Suisse had a total market cap of around $8 billion. Now, originally, the Swiss National Bank floated them $54 billion to survive. That wasn't enough. And now you have over $100 billion in backing for this deal to actually go through. Credit Suisse is a globally systemic important bank. So they have their tentacles in so many different variables and things. There are certain components of Credit Suisse's debt that are going to zero as a result of this. So unfortunately, this is one of these variables where we talk about credit events beneath the surface and how the yield curve is steeply inverted. And when the yield curve is steeply inverted as much as it was by a full percentage point, there's largely things beneath the surface that a lot of people don't necessarily know and rear their head about. So this now we know what that major credit event actually is. And this is most likely one of the larger banks in terms of like how far it reaches that's going to come under distress. But the fact of the matter is there are still pretty significant and meaningful losses in tier one capital for a lot of the banks. And that's due to the fact that they have to invest a lot of their tier one capital into US treasuries. Now, the Fed's liquidity provisions are definitely gonna help this, but it doesn't change the fact that you're still seeing a lot of deposit risk with a lot of individuals and deposits moving around. I don't think that this has gone far enough to quite address the situation yet, because I think that there are liquidity problems that are hiding beneath the surface that are going to come to fruition one by one. So this probably takes and is the rationale and emphasis for a lot of different patient for a lot of uh, patients, especially because we have another Fed meeting this week, and you know a lot of indications are Powell could continue to raise fifty or twenty five basis points, but it's hard to see the Fed raising as much with um, you know these new emergency programs going into place and simultaneously the discount window being hit at such a heavy rate. So it's we're in this really uncertain position and situation. I don't necessarily think this is enough response from uh, global governments because of the liquidity issues and the counterparty risks that we're potentially seeing. So I think this may have a little bit longer to play out. And the um, second question is a multi-parter. Is this 2008 all over again? And how many more banks do you expect to fail? And are there major banks safe at least? And is this a buying opportunity? 
Hey, look, first of all, this is not a 2008 uh, all over again. Uh, the system is incredibly well capitalized. Uh, you know, when you look at 2008, uh, you know, we're coming up on, on Holy Week, right, and, and the Passover season. And, you know, why is this banking crisis different from the other banking crises? And uh, this, this is basically an old-fashioned run on banks. And when you look at the banks that the run is on, they're extremely small. Um, you know, compared to the overall system, uh, where the banks are more like utility companies today and, you know, work lockstep with the government, uh, their ratios are extremely sound. Yes, to Michael's point, they're getting closer uh, to stress test levels, uh, but they can recap and, and raise capital easily, especially when you look at the money center banks, right? You look at the big guys, you know, uh, Bank of America, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, extremely well run extremely short on the yield curve, you know, rolling uh, their treasuries, managing their treasuries uh, excellently. Uh, there are no problems at the large cap banks. Uh, when you look at Credit Suisse, this was known for a couple of years now. Look at the way the equity was trading. Uh, the Saudis uh, bailed them out for about a year. The Swiss government on the press conference yesterday, uh, the, the regulators uh, in Switzerland were, were very clear uh, that they wanted to put this to an end they didn't want this to nickel and dime, you know, 50 billion here, 10 billion there and keep going down that road. They wanted to end this uh, and, and put it together. So I think in the U.S. you're seeing the same thing, especially with the regional banks. Uh, you have First Republic, you know, that's incredibly weak. That's going to go out, I would think, next, uh, you know, uh, preceded by obviously Signature and Silicon Valley. Again, two smaller banks uh, with non-systemic risk to the system. Um Second part of the question, please. I forgot where I was. Second going. part of the question is how many more banks do you expect to fail, which I guess you're going to I would, I would expect another few regionals. Uh, I definitely would. And maybe before failing, I would expect some more marriages uh, to be made. You know, New York Community Bank Corp, obviously, you got the signature assets. Uh, we'll see who gets First Republic assets, but I would expect a few more deals like that to be made, uh, specifically in the regionals. I okay. think one of the I think one of the biggest issues that you're coming into here is that the banks that are failing aren't the major banks, and I get I totally agree with you that the major banks are in a good spot in terms of their capitalization ratios. The big banks can't really buy anybody though, so they can't really participate. In- and don't forget, it's very tough for the small and mid-sized banks uh, to take somebody over because they don't want to go over those SIFI you know thresholds, uh, which basically means more regulation. Uh, for those banks that they become a certain size, not on just the new assets, but on the whole overall bank. So, you know, you really have set amount of partners that these can be, um, you know, uh, married with. Uh, and I do think the regulators are doing a very quick and expedient job at, at making sure there are marriages. To Michael's point, I don't think we're through this. You know, you have a bounce today on some of these deals. I don't think this is a bottom. You know, these things take a little bit. Um, but this is not a 2008 financial crisis whatsoever. Yeah, this is a very different scenario than the 2008 financial crisis. And one thing that surprises me a little bit, and one thing that could potentially alleviate some of the stress here, and I don't know personally the measures and the mechanisms that are required to actually pull this lever, but the last time the FDIC deposit limit was increased was 2008 from 100,000 to 250,000. And if they pulled that lever, that would probably qualm a lot of concerns about money flowing out from a deposit standpoint. But they haven't done it yet, and there's got to be a reason behind that. Um, so I, I think that would go a long way. But 2008 was associated with Lehman and Bear Stearns just having these. But you know, Mike, to your prior point, right? To your prior point, 
there's ways around that, right? I mean, the ways around that are to get into, you know, aggregated money markets or aggregated FDIC insure sweeps uh, and to go to different banks. So if no one wants that risk, that can be dealt with, right? So yeah, that can absolutely be alleviated. That that relies upon the individual, right? Or or the entity uh, to mitigate that risk. And those tools are available to anybody in the system um, should they, you know, feel the need for it. Oh, for sure. You're 100% right. And I think um, a lot of people just don't necessarily, they're not aware of what those solutions actually are. So, I mean, those are just questions that need to be asked. But, you know, I was kind of saying Lehman and Bear, they, they were these black hole of assets that nobody knew had to value in terms of losses. Right now, the losses are in U.S. Treasury bonds because the Fed has hiked so fast. So this is a problem. And the mark-to-market that, rules that yeah. were put on the banks, right, post 08 crisis, 09 crisis. Yeah. Uh, a lot of credit to fault swaps. Yeah. Hey, thanks, guys. That was great. That was very detailed. And if you'd like to submit a question, send it to our email address, which is question at com, and we'll be back next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.